This podcast is brought to you by the Specialty Produce Network. Welcome to Plated Earth, where we share at least a fraction of the crazy, wonderful, and insightful stories of produce. I'm your host, JJ. Plated Earth is also the official podcast of the Specialty Produce app. Please show your support for us and Specialty Produce by downloading the app and exploring one of the globe's most comprehensive fresh food databases. Now grab a snack and get ready for Food Fables, where we share original short fiction stories about produce and its connection to people, culture, and more. When Dimitri arrives at the original farmer's market for work each morning, he sees more than just the vendors and their foods. He sees cultures, histories, brothers, sisters, tragedy, happiness, and love all coming together like ingredients in a recipe. Come lunch, Dimitri always takes time deciding what to eat, closing his eyes and allowing smell to transcend his other senses and lead him to a decision. Today, the scent of gyro meat and baked pita bread dancing around freshly chopped onions and tomatoes, and it takes Dimitri back to Greece, his mother's homeland. Food and drink are abundant in Greek mythology, and Dimitri grew up hungry for his mother's traditions and stories as much as for her cooking. She nourished him with knowledge, history, tradition, folklore, and of course her homemade tzatziki sauce, which Dimitri dipped into just about everything, including a crayon when he was just a small boy. He chuckled to himself as he recalled the memory, making his way to the community tables with his lunch plate that looked like it could have come straight from his childhood kitchen. As he sat down, one of the farmers hurried over. Papa Earth, I've got something special for you. Dimitri was brought back into the present moment as the farmer extended his gloved hands, which cupped a small pile of plump, juicy, rich crimson-purple mulberries. Dimitri stood again with a giddy and boisterous clapping motion. The farmer laughed. <laughs> I thought you'd like it. Smaller window than usual this year. Wanted to make sure you got a few. Dimitri tipped his newsboy hat to the farmer with a modest schoolboy grin. You are so very kind. Dimitri extended his uncovered hands, motioning that it was okay for the farmer to hand them over, even though he didn't have gloves. A few market-goers had gathered around already, taking their seats at the table as Dimitri sat back down himself. He admired the mulberries in his palms as he spoke. The mulberry trees come to represent different ideas among different cultures. It has been the sign of everything from nature to faith, love, growth, and for some, even death. Dimitri placed them gently on the edge of his plate, holding his palms out to the crowd so they could see how the vibrant, sticky, sweet, juicy flesh stained his hands. Of course, he was not upset by this. He found the blood-red color absolutely beautiful and full of life. The mulberry tree thrives in Asia, Europe, and throughout the Middle East and its uses are so prominent in all of these places, it's no wonder the mulberry became wrapped in legend, history, and meaning. The genus name of the mulberry is Morris, which comes from the Latin word mora, meaning delay. It was so named because the mulberry tree is the last tree to bud in the spring, and because it waits until all possibility of frost is gone. Because of this, the mulberry tree has been called the wisest of all trees. Dimitri held out the fruits one at a time, distributing them to his neighbors who offered up their plates for their chance to try the fruit. It has been used for thousands of years in medicine, from ancient China to ancient Rome. 
In Hebrew, Hindu, and other Middle Eastern cultures, all parts of the mulberry tree are utilized for medicinal and commercial purposes. In German folklore, the roots of mulberry trees are often used by the devil to polish his boots, and therefore are sometimes associated with evil. In Japanese folklore, the mulberry represents support, nurturing, and self-sacrifice. In China, the tree is said to ward off evil, and because silkworms consume its leaves, the tree is associated with wealth. According to Chinese legend, silk was discovered sometime around 2640 BCE by a young empress who was sitting in her garden underneath a mulberry tree drinking tea. Suddenly a silkworm cocoon fell into her cup, and as she watched it dissolve, she saw that the cocoon was made out of one long, translucent thread. She wondered about the thread, and if it could be used to make fabric. She studied it, and from her work came the science behind silk production, down to the fact that feeding the silkworm's mulberry leaves led to the best silk. Dimitri pulled out his own silk pocket square and rubbed it between his fingers with a wink. As I said before, Dimitri began again, replacing his pocket square and taking notice that the youngest of the crowd today were in their teens. The mulberry has also come to symbolize death, and although tragic, it is also beautiful. After all, death is unifying, something all of life shares. It brings us back together in the end. Even in life, one sure thing that all cultures and all religions share is they all have a philosophy on death. The crowd quieted, taking in their own thoughts and then leaning in for more. There is a Babylonian tragic love story told by Roman poet Ovid in his work Metamorphoses, a story of two young lovers who were forbidden to marry, so they arranged to meet secretly under a mulberry tree. Their story was told in Geoffrey Chaucer's Legend of Good Women, and a parody version is acted out in Shakespeare's A Midsummer Night's Dream. Their story tells why this fruit has the thick, blood-like, crimson-purple staining flesh that it does. Again, the crowd leaned in with eager ears. Dimitri popped a mulberry in his mouth, humming contently as he enjoyed the sweet tart fruit with just a hint of spice. Then, as usual, with a wipe of his napkin across his lips, like a curtain unveiling the opening act, Dimitri began his story. Dimitri spoke. A long time ago, in a brick-walled city built by the famous queen of Assyria, Semiramis, there lived a young boy and a young girl. The boy, Pyramus, was quite handsome, and the girl, Thisbe, was the most beautiful of all girls in the East. The two lived next door to one another. In time, they fell in love. They would have married the very moment they realized their love, but their parents did not approve and forbade them to wed. Still, no matter how the parents felt, no matter how they spoke of one another's family, nothing could keep the young lovers from feeling the way they did. They showed it in their nods, their glances, and their gestures when they saw each other in passing. As neighbors, they shared a common wall between their houses, a wall that had the smallest of cracks, unnoticed by the rest of their families. But the young lovers, they found it, as love tends to find its way through just about any obstacle, and they used it to whisper to one another in the night, safe from the judgment of their parents. Sometimes they'd lean against the wall, stroking it softly as they listened for one another's breath. And other times they'd yell and hit the wall, cursing it for standing between them, just like their parents, preventing them from embracing their love with a hug or a kiss. 
Still, they were grateful for the wall, as it allowed them to whisper their loving words, to wish one another good night and sweet dreams, and to plan through the long, cold winter nights of an escape come spring. Finally, the time came. The last frost had passed, and the sun shone bright through their bedroom windows, beckoning them to come outdoors and leave this home behind. That night, when all was quiet, they would fool their parents, thinking the young lovers to be asleep, as they really snuck out to run away outside the brick-walled city. For a place to meet where they would not miss one another, they decided upon a mulberry tree near the tomb of King Nias, founder of Assyria's capital city. The tree was loaded with snow-white berries. It was the perfect place to meet. And so, that night, Thisbe covered her head with a veil and opened her door so sly, so quiet, that the hinge did not creak even the slightest, and no one saw her slip away into the night. She made her way boldly through the darkness to the tomb, and she smiled as she saw the brilliantly white fruits glowing in the moonlight. But as she approached, her joy turned to fear, for underneath the mulberry tree was a lioness, her jaws covered in crimson froth, no doubt the blood of a freshly slain cow. The lioness surely came for water from the stream that ran near the tree, but Thisbe was not going to take any chances. She turned and ran, her veil falling from her head as she fled. The lioness drank from the stream and then returned to the tree where she saw the veil and began tearing at it like a toy, blood still dripping from her teeth and staining the veil. Pyramus heard the lioness as he approached, and he saw Thisbe's footprints in the dust as well as the tracks from the lioness. He hurried his pace and his face grew pale. He stopped dead in his tracks when he saw his love's veil, stained red in the jaws of the lioness. Oh, this is all my fault, he cried. I told you to come here in the night to all this terror and was not here before you to protect you. It should have been me. He fell to his knees, taking his face into his hands. Come, lions, take me too. I cannot be without my love he called out as he took out his sword and drove it into his heart. The crimson color soaked into the roots of the mulberry tree, and slowly the white fruits were dyed the same dark hue. Soon after, Thisbe, still frightened, came out of hiding carefully. Though she was afraid of the lioness, her love was stronger, and it drove her back to the tree. But as she looked, she saw something curious. The place, the tree, it looked familiar, yet there was something strange in the berry's color. Could this be right? She whispered aloud as she again approached the tree. But as she neared, she saw her love lying beneath the tree, his pale skin glowing in the moonlight. She rushed to him and fell to her knees by his side, letting her body fall across his in their first real embrace. Oh, my Pyramus, she cried. What evil fortune takes you from me? She looked up and saw, just a few feet away, her own mangled veil lying next to an empty sword sheath. She understood exactly what had happened. You poor thing. She brushed the hair across his forehead and kissed it gently. Your love is what took you away. I will follow you into the dark, for nothing, not our parents, not that wall, not even death can keep you from me any longer, and we will be together at last. I beg of the gods and of our parents, listen to our prayers. Do not begrudge us. Let us be joined in death in the same tomb. And you, she reached for a deep crimson mulberry fruit that had fallen from the branch. Sweet mulberry tree, keep our love in remembrance always with this dark and mournful color. 
The gods and the parents were touched by the young couple's love, and so the lovers' ashes were laid to rest together in a single urn. To this day, many mulberry trees still redden as they ripen, forever a testament to the tragic lovers and their long-awaited union. The End Well, folks, that concludes this week's episode. Be sure to follow at Specially Produce App on Instagram for some amazing produce photos. And while you're on there, give us a follow at Plated Earth. Tune in next time for the latest food buzz. And remember, cauliflower is nothing but a cabbage with a college education. We'll catch you next time. Thank you.